A quick announcement before the podcast begins. Don't forget that my three books are now available on Amazon and most online bookstores. 216 and the Secrets of the Universe 2nd Edition is available on Audible, Paperback, or Kindle. It is also translated into Spanish. 216 and the Secrets of the Universe 2nd Edition is a message that myself, the author, Omar Angulo, was guided to deliver by higher beings to humanity through this book. It all began on 216 when my older brother took his life and sent me down an unfathomable rabbit hole over the course of four years. This book can be enjoyed by those that are spiritually curious to those that may consider themselves to be full-blown awakenings. My second book, titled My Contact with UFOs, Otherworldly Beings, God, Angels, Demons, and More, is available on Amazon and most online bookstores on paperback. This book is a collection of personal stories and experiences I had with the divine, paranormal, spiritual, and what some may consider to be taboo. My third book, titled My Book of Psalms, The Book of Old Number 3, is available on paperback and is also on Amazon and most online bookstores. This book is a collection of song lyrics written by myself with deep meaning over the course of my life and also a collection of photographs taken by myself or colleagues during not only my musical journey, but journey of life as well. And now, the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 39 of In a Good Way podcast. Today's special guest is Natalie Sudman. Natalie is an author, an artist, a psychic intuitive, and she was also an archaeologist for many years, now retired. So thank you, Natalie, for being here and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Omar. My pleasure. Um, You know, I, I reached out to you maybe half a year ago. And, uh, you know, since then, it was, you know, I'm very excited because it took so long to have you on here. So, <laughs> um, but you were actually my very first NDE that I saw. I had no idea what NDEs were. And, uh, you know, I just got really excited because even certain things you shared really resonated with me. And, and there are things that you don't you can't always talk with people about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even after that, I went down the ND rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do. There are a lot of them out there. Yeah. And I had no <laughs> idea. Right. So, um, you know, I even mentioned to you right before we started how I even felt bad about asking you to come on because I've seen how many interviews you've done already. And I was like, wow, like you've been doing them for years. So before we get into the NDE, I always like to find out um, as far as like when you were little, were you already having certain like a connection to to the other side and all that? Or or how did it begin for you? At at what age? Yeah, when I was a little kid, I would have dreams of things that would later happen. Oh, so um, and I was also. I think I just assumed that everyone thought about things the way I did. Like Mm -hmm. I would sit in church and I would look at someone in front of me and think, scratch your ear, scratch your ear, scratch your ear. (laughs) And they would scratch their ear eventually. Wow. Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold. Um, So so I was playing around with things, you know, Mm -hmm. even when I was a little kid. But it really, I think probably in my 30s, I started taking it a little more seriously Mm. and um, reading books about people's experiences or um, I didn't, I think I read maybe one ND. No, I don't know if I even read any NDE books, but I read like the Seth books, some of those and 
if you're familiar with those. I'm not. I'm not actually. Those are they're channeled books oh. from like the 19, I don't know, 70s maybe. Oh wow. And <clears throat> I ran across um Robert Monroe's books. Mm. He was a sound engineer. Um back in the 50s and he started having out of body out of body experiences and he didn't know what was happening to him he thought he was dying or something and he he documented these experiences in great detail and and eventually um, put them into some books oh, wow. so when I started reading stuff like that I was like oh maybe I can do that and I started taking taking these kinds of things more seriously I guess and um, and starting to meditate and try to um, gain some control over psychic abilities, I guess. I don't think I was all that successful, <laughs> but <laughs> it was to fun you. to try, <laughs> you know? It was, um, and I think it's important. I think that a lot of people have experiences and then just wait around for another one to happen. Mm. But I think like anything, when you practice, you're going to get better at it and you're going to start to learn some control and some um, uses for these things that are um, helpful for yourself or humanity. Mm. You know, you can be of service. So I think, I think it's valuable to, put a little effort toward it yeah no that resonated a lot um so what why or what happened at your the age of 30 that made you want to dig deeper is that when you had the nde or or not yet no uh -uh. no um i don't really know what happened in particular i don't know if there was one particular thing i think my interest kind of um went in and out throughout my life but in my 30s for some reason it just um I got more interested in it okay. and I was able to I had a couple of out of body experiences mm. and I think that probably spurred things on a little bit oh, like okay. wow this is this is real you know it's real in a whole different way when you when you start to have experiences that um that blow up your ideas of what's possible. Mm. You know, they just, they're so far beyond it. 100%. Um, so in these out-of-body experiences, do you remember what they were about? Why it was so significant or, or what happened during them? Well, they were, the first one was very conscious. I was trying to do it. Oh. And so I remember <clears throat> sitting up and kind of just peeling out of my body and going, oh, whoa. Oh, so that's what this feels like. Wow. It wasn't just, you know, we can travel as a point of consciousness too, mm. but this was actually felt like it was peeling out of my body. Wow. And, um, and then I just hovered above my body for a few minutes. Wow. It was kind of trying to figure out how to move or how to see or how to perceive. And I, I um, I made a little bit of a movement and I ended up just spinning because it doesn't take very much movement to really move. Oh, wow. And I started spinning and it freaked me out. So I went right back into my body. <laughs> and then um, a 
probably a week or two later, I was just sitting in a chair in a really warm room. I was really comfortable. I was kind of half asleep and I just started to roll out of my body and I got stuck. I couldn't get this shoulder out. Oh, wow. I was kind of pulling and there was other beings with me there and they were all laughing. They thought it was really funny. Wow. It woke me up and I popped back into my body. So those are the two um, you know, I didn't really go anywhere or have experiences other than just peeling out of my body, which was a really interesting feeling. Most definitely. Um, yeah, because I, I had those and then I was able to see. Unfortunately, they weren't the best circumstances. Um, but it's like, you know, when I was in a relationship, I saw someone doing something. And mm. and when I called them for like two days, they didn't answer. Finally, they called me with an apology. I'm sorry. I was like, I know I saw you. <laughs> so, but, but thankfully that relationship opened me up a lot. And I was probably like, I don't know if I was 25 or 26. So that was like, everything went fast forward. Like I learned so much during that time because, you know, they would sometimes not tell me, but then eventually they would tell me the truth because I knew it. I would feel it. I dreamed it or mm -hmm. astral projected. So it was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, um, well, I didn't want to jump right into the ND because there's so many things I wanted to ask you, but I guess we could, we could lead up to that, to the ND. So up to the time you were 30, you started searching and at that point, from, from that point to the ND, how long was it? Um, uh, probably about 15 years, maybe. Oh, wow. Okay. So in between from, from your thirties to, to the NDE. Were as you were learning more, were you enhancing your gifts? Like, um, I guess, yeah, I guess so. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I'll say yes to that. <laughs> I at about maybe forty or forty-two, I started doing readings for friends, oh, psychic wow. readings, and um. And having a little bit more confidence in what I was seeing, what mm. I was, the information that I was getting. I did a little bit of channeling and things like that. I didn't, I didn't do any of that for strangers and I didn't, you know, make a business card or anything. Oh. But, um, but I did try to practice more, you know, to try to actually take it seriously and um, gain a little confidence and, practice enough to feel like I knew what I was doing. I didn't, I didn't do it a lot. I never did a lot mm. until after my NDE. Okay. And so, um, were you using tarot cards as well, or, or just, you would just get the. Yeah, I would use tarot cards. Um, I, I like the tarot for a number of reasons. It's nice to have something physical mm. To hold or to look at it it kind of um, bridges it acts like a bridge between the intuitive and the physical you know it, you can close your eyes and, and really kind of go into that intuition um, but it's nice to remind ourselves that this physical world is also part of the non-physical it's mm -hmm. not it's not separate it's all holy it's all spiritual you know, mm. and so when you have your eyes open and you're handling something physical, you can say, okay, this is really real. Mm. This is real in a, 
physical form way in the world. So Definitely. I like. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, just saying. I like that part of it. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Um. Also, since you said that, how it's all connected and it's it's not separate. When you mentioned the out of body experience, how you said there were beings there with you. Did you know the beings, or it's just they're always watching us, like all the time? <laughs> how how is um, that? I they were familiar to me, mm. and you know when I got back in my body, it, it wasn't like oh I know who those people were. It was more like oh they're so familiar to me. I'm sure I know them but I don't know them as, as this physical world personality. I don't mm. know. Them. Oh, wow. Okay. I think that as a whole self, I probably know them. They were very familiar. It wasn't like a bunch of strangers standing around laughing at me. Or anything. Oh. Although, who knows? I don't know if I do that or not. <laughs> so they didn't really give you an understanding as to like, if they're just part of the people watching like the Natalie show or anything like that, it was... <laughs> Like just I didn't ask them, and I guess I didn't go back into that to figure that out. If oh. I look at it now, it looks to me like they were some of my helpers or colleagues or gar guardians or whatever people want to call them. Mm. Um, they were some of those guys, some of oh. those people. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's some some stray random strangers that sometimes just watch us, but <laughs> I think it's creepier to think about that from the human perspective than it is from a whole self perspective. Yes. Um so while you wrote the book after the NDE, right? So I don't I don't jump ahead. Okay. So um I guess let's lead up to the NDE. So the NDE, then you were about 45, you said? Yeah, I was, uh, I, was I have to do the math, 47. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you had been an archaeologist for how many years? Uh, I had done archaeology work since I was about 32, I think, or 31 or 32, somewhere around there. So I'd done it for about 16 years. Oh, wow. And I was... Um, I'd been doing it long enough that I was kind of in the administrative end of things now. Mm. And I didn't like that. I wanted to be outside or I wanted to be doing, I don't know, <laughs> doing the groundwork. So um, I also wanted to travel. So I was looking for an overseas job mm. and I was having a lot of trouble finding anything. So um what I did have an opportunity to do is go volunteer to go down to help with Hurricane Katrina cleanup. Okay. And down in um, Mississippi and Louisiana. So I volunteered to do that a couple of times. And while I was there, I met some people from the Corps of Engineers, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and Bureau of Reclamation and and a few months later, one of those women called me up and said, hey, we have jobs in Iraq. Do you want if you want to go? Do you want to go to Iraq? I was like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I ended up in Iraq. Um, I was just looking for an overseas job. And that's one that fell in my lap. So I, wow. I went ahead and took it. So had you had any other overseas jobs or that was your first one? That was my first one. Mm. 
I think. I'm trying to remember. No, I had worked in Antarctica. Oh, wow. Back in 1999, 2000. Wow. I'd gotten a job down there and spent about four or five months working. I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, I don't like calling them conspiracy theory people, but a lot of people have all these ideas about Antarctica and and while you were there, you didn't see anything out of out of the normal, even with, you know, you having, uh, you know, psychic gifts or anything. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm curious now about Antarctica. Like, how is it over there? Is it just cold, nothing but snow? or It's beautiful. Mm. It was beautiful. You don't think of it that way. Yeah, I do think, oh, it's just snow. It's just white. <laughs> mm. But it it was beautiful. It was, um, it was snowy, but it was... Um, it was no worse than a Minnesota winter. I grew oh, up in Minnesota. Okay. And um, it was summer when I was there. Their summer, our winter. Oh, wow. And um, the town is very... I was at McMurdo Station, which is the biggest um, station on Antarctica. It's run by the Americans, but there's people from all over the world there. Oh, wow. And... Um, it's a very industrial kind of looking place. It's, mm. it's, um, it's got uh, dorms and um, a big main building that has like a store and a post office and a place to eat. And, mm. and there are carpenters and plumbers and um, all kinds of people there, you know, wow. um, all in support of the science that's mm. being done. And that town is on uh, an island with a live volcano behind the town that's oh, wow. shooting some smoke up once in a while. And then across the water is the mainland of Antarctica, and there are mountains, um, very, very tall mountains all along that shoreline. So it's really pretty. And there's plant life and everything? No, there's oh. not really any plants. There are skua birds that are like uh, gulls, mm. gulls, and there are penguins and seals wow. and whales, and yeah. That's so that's the cool. so all they do is just eat each other kind of thing. Is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of? I guess so. Wow. So that's the whole ecosystem of Antarctica. That's yeah. amazing. No, yeah. thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Um, yeah, for some reason it interests. I would like to go visit just to see it, I guess, you know. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um I guess I guess leading up to the well, not just the NDE, I guess let me ask you this. Any place that you've done archaeology, did you ever connect with it? Because as a psychic, do you see the spirits as well? Is that one of your your gifts or or it's more I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have. Um, the one time when... The only time that I'll really talk about is, isn't about seeing the spirits, but I was... It was the end of a long day and I was doing um, surface surveys, which means that anytime a ground disturbing activity takes place on public land, mm. federal state land, an archaeologist has to go out and look at that the surface of the land and make sure that there aren't any archaeology sites. So I was doing that. I was walking transects out in um, Wyoming 
And it was the end of the day. I was really tired. I'd been out walking for about eight hours and I wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing. I was kind of daydreaming and walking along over these little sand dunes. Mm. And all of a sudden I realized that I had just seen some fire cracked rock. And so I turned around and I walked back and there was no fire cracked rock there. And I, I, without even thinking, I just dropped down to my knees and started digging and about, about six inches or eight inches down into the sand, I found those fire cracked rock in exactly the formation that I had seen them in. Wow. So that, that was, um, yeah, that was pretty neat. So what did this fire crack rock belong to or, or what? Um, there was a small, small prehistoric site there. So there was a few more on the other side of the dune. There was a few more um, concentrations of fire cracked rock. And there were some flakes of um, worked stone in that area, too. So did it have to do with the native people that lived there before? Is, mm-hmm. Indigenous people. Wow. Yeah, there was no not. I, we didn't date the site, so I don't know how old it old it was but yeah it was from indigenous wow and i mean you don't have to answer you don't want to but have you ever ran into conflict because of places that you guys were looking at and then there was conflict because people didn't want you like in those areas or um no not really um No, most of that, well, I would say I, I did run into a couple conflicts, but they were conflicts with ranchers oh. who were running their cattle out there. Um, they didn't like the the Bureau of Land Management, who mm-hmm. I was working for. And so I have, yeah, I've had guns pulled on me out there. Oh, wow. Because they didn't really want me looking around. But did you have permission to be there or or it was it's it's public land. Oh, okay. And they just yeah. they they <laughs> yeah, it's that's a long and messy issue. Uh, a lot of ranchers out there really resent the federal government and think that because they're running their cattle out there, they should be able to keep everybody off of it. Ah. Uh, and that's a very simplistic way of someone's I'm gonna get emails <laughs> it's a very simplistic way to uh talk about it. it yeah it's a complex messy kind of subject but no I can imagine um so you were working as an archaeologist on behalf of the federal government then at that time I was yeah oh, okay. I've worked for contractors and for the federal government yeah oh wow okay okay so like you said since it's messy we won't we'll leave that there <laughs> Um, and you know what? I failed to even mention for anybody watching that doesn't know what an NDE is. That's a near-death experience. Um, and, you know, most people that, you know, share their stories about NDEs, it's like you basically die or as as I guess us humans understand it, right? Here, like we die and then and then you come back to life, right? So that's the NDE. So I guess we'll, we'll lead up to that now. Um, so you... Agreed to go to Iraq. You traveled. Um, so you were there doing the same thing you were doing here, right? As archaeologist. Oh, no. No, I didn't go as an archaeologist. I went as a um, construction representative. Oh, so wow. I worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Mm. who They were doing a lot of the rebuilding of Iraq. So 
They're building roads, um, medical facilities, police stations, um, water treatment plants, oh, sewage wow. systems, all kinds of things. Mm. And uh, so I was in charge of kind of managing some of those construction projects. Oh, wow. And so how long were you there for before everything happened? I went over there in August 2006. Mm. So I was over there about 16 months, I think. I was injured um, the end of November in 2007. Oh, wow. So you were at that point, you were pretty comfortable, but it wasn't that right. You already had your protocols as to every time you went out. Um, so basically you were going from site to site, managing mm -hmm. or supervising or managing the construction of different. A lot of the, um, a lot of the construction projects that I had, um, well, all of them were directly managed by one of four Iraqi engineers who worked mm -hmm. for me. So they were out at the sites every single day. I would go out maybe once a week mm -hmm. and, and go visit these sites and make sure everything was going all right and make sure that the, the Iraqi contractors um, kind of knew that we were paying attention uh, <laughs> and, and wanted good quality work. Yeah. And, um, and then about uh, after, I don't know how many months, after a while, I all of my projects were given to someone else and I was given one road project. Oh, and I was in charge of that one road project exclusively and i did go outside the wire every day for okay. months on that project and then i moved to another base um near nasseria called mm -hmm. talil and i was then uh i guess a program manager a project manager project manager so i did a little bit different work i was working on the funding of um projects and overseeing them kind of at the next level up from a construction rep. Oh, and that's wow. what I was doing. That was the job that I was doing when our vehicle was hit. We were out, I was out with three other colleagues and we were visiting some water treatment plant sites and a, and a road site. Mm. Um, yeah, it was the end of the day and um, long day, long, hot day. So I was kind of half asleep in the truck when an IED, an improvised explosive device, went off under the vehicle. Oh, wow. So it was right as you were driving over it, it went off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they think, I, th I think they concluded that it was probably set off by a cell phone. Oh, wow. And how many uh, vehicles were in the convoy as you guys? We had four vehicles. When we would travel off base, um, we always had at least three vehicles, but this time, because there were four of four of us, four of my colleagues, they can only fit two of us in each vehicle. So there's a, there's a lead truck mm -hmm. that has a driver and um, a gunman. Mm -hmm. And um, then what they call the principal vehicle where I would be in. Mm and then a gun truck. And this time we had two principal vehicles. Oh, so okay. in our truck, there was a driver and um, a guard. Mm -hmm. 
and two, two of us. And then there was another vehicle like that, a driver, a guard, and two more of my colleagues. And then the gun truck had, I think it had two, but maybe it had, no, I think it must have had three guys in it. Mm. Wow. So we had a four vehicle convoy. It was typical way that we traveled off base. We couldn't go off base without an armed convoy. And so as you were passing, did anyone end up, I mean, aside from your experience, did anyone else uh, pass away from from the IED explosion? Or yeah, the um, guard sitting in front of me was killed. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. And oh, wow. the other the other three of us were yeah all pretty severely injured. Oh, did any of your other colleagues have uh, or anyone else that was in the vehicle? Because only your vehicle took the hit, right? The other mm-hmm. wow. So. Did anyone else experience also uh, NDE or anything? No. Wow. No. So during this experience, so you were hit and did you instantly know, like, as you're, did you have an out-of-body experience and then you saw everything happening or, or how did it go from that point? Yeah, um, I was kind of half asleep with my head on my hand with my eyes closed. And then I was, I didn't hear the explosion. I was just out of my body. And I found myself standing, um, like standing on a stage kind of, and there were thousands of beings all around me, like in a stadium. And I was downloading information to them. And, um, and then I communicated that I didn't want to, I wasn't going to go back into my body. I wasn't interested. (laughs) And, and they were like, okay, good, fine. And, um, and then said, well, but what if you went back and did this mm. thing? And I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll go back. <laughs> so that's how easily my mind has changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I I call them, I call my movements during this experience blinking because I would be in one place and then in another place. There was no in-between there. So after kind of interacting with these thousands of beings, I blinked to another place where, that I called the deep rest environment where um, I did a kind of a life review and just went into this really, really deep rest. Mm. And um, when I was done with that, uh, went went back to the that big group again for for a few minutes and then went to a place that I call the healing environment. I was kind of hovering at a 45 degree angle above the truck. I could see the truck down on the desert and I could see each of us in the truck Mm. and I could perceive that like an or like organizations of energy. And I was with a couple other beings and we were playing around with my injuries we were setting different injuries in my body Mm. when we were done kind of playing around with that and and i just i chose the injuries that i wanted we set them in the body and then i blinked again and i was down standing next to the truck and it was kind of like um it was like i was in between time space like nothing was moving Mm. it didn't feel like time was moving it felt like everything had stopped and I was standing there with about eight helpers or colleagues or 
guardians or whatever we want to call them. Mm. And we were all discussing what I had agreed to do um, kind of from the viewpoint of, you know, when I was talking to all those beings talking to communicating with all those <laughs> thousands of beings, <laughs> um, it was like discussing what I was going to do from the perspective of management. <laughs> and then when I was standing next to the truck and talking to these eight other beings, it was like, okay, now we're on the ground mm. and things look different from here. So let's talk about these things now. And then when we were done, I just blinked and I heard a, I heard a big pop and I was back in my body. Oh, wow. And I knew that I had been somewhere else, but I also knew that it it was a pretty serious explosion and that I would have to open my eyes and kind of deal with that. Mm. <laughs> so um, I really didn't think about where I had just been. It, it, it was a few months before I finally went, you know what? I went somewhere. Where did I go? And as soon as I closed my eyes, just the memory came back so vividly and so completely I couldn't figure out how I had forgotten because oh, wow. it was so complete and so detailed mm. and that's when I that's when I started writing the book about it oh wow so as you were writing the book it all started coming back to you it started coming back to me and then I started writing the book mm -hmm. oh okay how long was it after it, it happened that everything started coming back probably about three or four months oh wow yeah. So um, when you were in this kind of stadium type room, <laughs> you, so the, the truck and everything weren't there, right? You were like in a whole nother place when mm -hmm. that happened. And then after everything that had happened, then they took you back there. And that's when or you just appeared back there. It's funny when yeah, you say I that. In, I think I was in control of myself. No one was moving me around. OK. No one was telling me where to go. I was always um, in charge of myself. That's what it felt like. Like oh, okay. I was, I could go wherever I wanted to go or not go wherever I wanted to go. Oh, wow. if I had, you know, if they had said, well, why don't you go back and do this? And I had said, no, I, they would have my, it looks to me like they would have just said, okay, that's fine. Okay. Like it, it was up to me. It wasn't anyone ordering me around. Wow. And, uh, it's interesting that, that you, uh, Talked about the stadium because just my last guess, I don't think they said they had an MD NDE, but they um had that experience and they mentioned the stadium seating. I've had uh, lots of other people come to me and say, I recognize that I've been there. I don't know if it's the same group, but I, I know that place. Wow. I think that's neat. See, but their their experience, it was interesting because they said they were even in this meeting and it was all these other beings that look like, you know, not the human, right? That she was the only human there. And then one of them turned and said, not the human. And then, boom, she appeared back in her body. She was sitting up in her bed. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And she doesn't know why. I, I, I was curious to know why. Did you experience anything? Like, did you see beings from other that didn't look human? Like, they, they look different? Or did everyone look? Well, the way I describe that is... Um... In my memory, they look human, mm. but 
I, d I think that that's an overlay. I think that that makes sense to my human mind. Mm. And I, I think I talk about this in more, in more detail in the book, but there are parts of my experience that I, well, I can go back into this experience and be there. And when I'm there, if, if, if there's things that I can change that are kind of malleable with my with my imagination, then it it kind of tells me that I'm maybe not seeing exactly what was there. Mm. That that my human mind is making it comprehensible. So I can go back and change those beings into monsters or into little beams of light or I can, I can, I can change them. They're kind of fluid, which suggests to me that, that I'm the one making them look human because there's other parts of my experience. I can't, no matter what, I can't change that image in my mind. It is what it is. And I can't use my imagination to change it. Oh. So that suggests to me that some things I'm seeing as they were, and some things I'm seeing perhaps accurately, but not truly or something. And yourself, you saw yourself as human too, or you, were, oh, that's it. Were you seeing yourself or were you looking through your eyes? Like everything, you couldn't really see your own body. I was aware in front of, when I was in front of all those thousands of beings, I was aware that I was in a human form mm. and I had my uniform on. Oh, wow. It's all ripped up from being blown up. Wow. <laughs> I was very aware of that. I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. This makes me look pretty adventurous. <laughs> 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 but then when I went to, for instance, the, um, the deep rest environment, mm -hmm. I really perceived myself as an organization of energy that didn't have a form necessarily. Wow. Um, and... And I think, um, I mean, that felt kind of more true or more real. And I had heard in an interview that when you mentioned about choosing your injuries, how you actually got to see what life would be like, for example, if you had a missing arm mm -hmm. and how you were all laughing about it or something. Yeah, we thought it was hilarious. Me and the people, the two that I was with, the one especially was it felt like an old, old friend. And we were the ones kind of goofing around and we'd kind of do the equivalent of waving a hand and, and my right arm would be severed. Wow. And then we would see like, just in a flash, like a, like a holographic um, image or something, we'd see the, my whole life with that injury. Wow. And we would just, we thought that was hilarious. We would give me shrapnel in my brain so that I had some kind of brain damage and we'd fall down laughing. We thought it was very funny. It's a very, very different perspective because from that perspective, it's, it's known that this lifetime is not very long mm -hmm. and it's not that serious. You know, it, we put everything in the context of one lifetime, birth, mm -hmm. growth, maturity, aging, death, and everything has to make sense within that, that, that time frame. And so everything looks big 
because the time frame is relatively short. But if you imagine multiple lifetimes, or if you imagine infinity mm. and putting this lifetime into that context, it's only 40 years. It's only 60 years. It's only 80 years. It's not very long. So that's the perspective that we were working from. And I, I, want, I think it's important to explain that because I know what it's like to live with chronic pain mm. and even a day can feel interminable. It can feel just like hell. And, and I don't want to make it sound like that's not real because we're in the experience. It is real, but there are other perspectives. And from the perspective that we were working from, we weren't in pain, <laughs> you know, we weren't in the pain. So it was easier to laugh about it. It was easier to see it from a different perspective. Definitely. And even you saying that, it makes me think of like, see video games. I've, you know, you've got play video games and you, you do dumb things and you laugh at, you mm -hmm. know, the character getting hit by a car or doing weird stuff. And you're like, ah, look it, look it. And so, it's funny. It's almost like, did we as humans create that to make sense subconsciously? Like whoever creates these things, maybe we're trying to just understand. I mean, that's me overthinking things, but is it like maybe subconsciously, even movies, right? Movies. Like it's funny in acting, right? You're not supposed to break. I believe it's the fourth wall. And that's when you look at the camera, you know, because yeah. then it's like, hey, they could see me or yeah. something, you know? So everything's more it's very much like those things, I yeah. think. So yeah. it's shot more through the perspective of, of like, we're just observing. But then once they look back at you, it freaks you out. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's so now with your understanding of that. So did you see a lot of these different injuries or just like a few that you remember, like the arm, the without an the arm? ones I remember are um, like a hole in my head, wow. severing my arm, a big hole in my side. Those are the ones that I remember. Mm -hmm. And then. Ha ha. <laughs> when we were done laughing, I'm like, okay, we got to <laughs> come on, choose what you want, do it. <laughs> and, and so the ones you decided on, what were, what were the main injuries? If so, you don't um, yeah, I had um, a broken heel from mm. shrapnel. Um, oh, wow. These, both these bones in my arm were shattered and um, some of the wrist bones were broken. All the bones on the right side of my face were broken oh, wow. and my skull was fractured and I had some holes in my skull right here. Mm. And, um, I had shrapnel. I think I had shrapnel in both eyes, but definitely in the right eye. And, um, that, um, that retina eventually came detached. So, and because of the holes here, the muscles in this eye also don't really line up. So the eyes don't, don't see together. And this eye has very, almost no vision. Oh, wow. they, they reattach the retina, but there's no lens in that eye. And there was some damage to the optic nerve too. So, mm. Wow. Those are the main things. Lots of shrapnel also. And so to your understanding, you agreed to this then? Yeah, I agreed to it. <laughs> oh, now, you, now I think, yeah, well, I could have I could have just broken an arm or something, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cause see, 
I understand that now because of an experience I had. But like, um, so did you ever have moments when you were like, why would I even choose to do this? Like, this is crazy. I had a couple moments like that when I was in the hospital. Mm. Um, I was like, God, I really want to be able to see out of both eyes. I'm an artist. I don't, you know, I, I need both my eyes. And I was getting kind of upset. And all of a sudden, I just had this really clear thought that said, oh, don't worry about it. It's only 40 more years. And I felt that. I felt oh, like, wow. big deal. It's only 40 years. So um, even though I, at that time, I didn't, I didn't remember the NDE, there, I had moments like that over and over that, that I think were clearly the result of having that NDE. Mm. Because that's not the way I would normally have thought. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone, oh, it's only 40 more years. I would have gone, no, oh, poor me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I don't I don't want to jump too far ahead, but let's let's say now with that understanding, since we're on the subject, how do you feel about like the whole human experience? Are we here to learn? And that's it. It's just like a school or are we meant to because see, let's say, for example, in the past, it would have been books, right? There was no internet. We couldn't all get the information at the snap of a finger. So now everyone's able to share these stories and make more people aware of, hey, we're only here for a limited time. Anyone that, so if this video were to go around the world, and I've seen some of your other interviews, how many people have seen them. So people would get that understanding. Well, okay, this is some kind of... Uh, so how would you think it's more of a school? It's it's really not real, any of it. It's all just a simulation. <laughs> or are we really going to turn into that? Like whoever is you were on the other side, that's what we eventually become. And this is like, you know, there's so many variables. So mm -hmm. I, what did you get from What's your input? <laughs> well, I think... Um... The way that I'm sort of shown the world itself is that if you imagine that everything that we think, everything that we imagine um, becomes real in some way, it, mm. it, it forms, um, but it doesn't mean that that holds its form. So say somebody imagined a, a world and um, imagined it in detail. And so it, it kind of became something that anybody could perceive. But then I turned my attention away from it and I ignored it. And there's no attention on it. There's, no, there's nothing to hold it together. So it begins to fall apart. But what if I created that and then got a bunch of friends together and said, look at this. And more and more people were attracted to it and went, oh, look at that. And pretty soon people said, hey, wait a minute, we could go into that mm. and have an experience through that. Mm. Then what would that be like? And and so this, this thing that we have created becomes more and more, quote unquote, solid. Mm. It becomes more and more stable. And so people can come beings can come into form and experience through it that's kind of how i'm shown this reality is it a simulation well in a way but i mean we're here 
we're in it. Mm. We're, it's real. You know, it doesn't, in some ways, it doesn't matter whether it's real or not real. If our experience within it is real, then it's real in that way. It has effect. So um, that's my take on that. I think that what I'm shown as far as what we're doing here is instead of using the word learn, because in our culture that that assumes tests and hierarchies of, you know, you first grade, second grade, third grade, or whatever. And I think it's more fluid than that. I like the word exploration. Mm. So I think that it's possible that we humanity or a group of people said beings said, what happens if we believe that we're separate from everything? What if we believe that we're separate from the source? What kind of experience would we have? Mm. And I think that we said, oh, well, let's find out. Ah. And so we, we brought, we entered into this world of form that, that with, with sort of a blanking of our memory of who and what we really are. And I think that at, at this point, we've kind of taken that experiment as far as it can go without destroying ourselves. Mm. And I think that we're, we're, we're kind of all willing to walk ourselves home now to remember who and what we are like, okay, we've done that. We've done that exploration. We've learned a lot of things. Now let's, now can we bring ourselves, can we walk ourselves back out of that uh, exploration? Can we walk ourselves back into the, the fact that we are have always been connected, that we've always been part of each other, that we're all one. That's my take on it. No, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's interesting because, uh, you know, like I, I was shown when, you know, I well, I don't, I'm not sure if I had it because even things that you were saying, kind of, uh, I remembered because when I was around 17, you know, I have a huge scar that that it was, you know, it faded away over time, but. I, I don't know if you could really see, but it faded away over time. Let me see. I don't know if you could see it. It's like. Oh, yeah, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. Ooh, but it used wow. to, yeah, it used to go all the way. I was in a car accident. I guess my friend's sister was picking us up from school and and we saw her at the light. Back then, you know, there were pay phones. So we were calling mm -hmm. her and then we see her car. So we're like, oh, we hang up and we run and we get in the car. She was waiting at the, you know, the, one of those lights. Right. And when it turned yellow. She thought this big old truck was going to stop. So she goes, but it sped up and it hit. I guess it must have hit on the side I was I was on. Right. And then uh, I guess I got knocked out. And then I heard my friend's voice after. And I just I I hadn't opened my eyes yet. I was kicking my legs and he's like, hey, like, calm down, calm down. And I guess he put a shirt because I was bleeding. And so, you know, all that stuff happened. And then I was at the hospital and then um. It was funny because I remember even thinking at the hospital because they just wrapped me up with all the glass. And so for like three days, every I could barely turn and it was slicing my head up, all the glass. And so I remember thinking like even that, like, oh, this must be what Jesus felt like with, with his oh. You know, like I don't ever have to wonder, oh, like, you know, because people love to depict that, like movies oh. and everything, you know. And I was like, man, I don't even have to wonder that because it was so painful just having, you know, all this glass. For like three days. So all these experiences, right? But from that point on is when I really opened up. 
spiritually, but but the but when I really got the understanding was my brother passed away in 2019, right? And he took his life. He was in the, you know, he was in the military. He had gotten blown up at one point too and hit with an ID in Iraq. He he had deployed three times, right? And uh, you know, I think they floored it. He was in the front, and I guess something told them to floor it. Maybe, you know, instinct and mm -hmm. even, you know, the the hum Humvee behind them, that one got hit harder. And, you know, you know, um, someone, you know, that was under his his command, you know, passed away and all that. So I remember all that stuff. But but um, basically after, right, he ended up taking his life like in 2019. Right. And and it hit me so hard that then these like beings, but first they looked like human. They they showed me like everything was already kind of like agreed upon. And I couldn't even tell my family because how do I tell my family like, mm -hmm. like oh, it's they okay. showed me. Yeah, 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 yeah we agreed to this. Yeah. <laughs> and even that, I still had a hard time with it. And then even mm -hmm. the, they appeared to me again, but then they were like these these beings, right? They were very, Then they were their true form. And they were these huge beings. And the same, I wanted to go with them. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, I think on the third time they appeared to me, they were like, you want to go? And I was like, yeah. And it was almost like they didn't expect me to give that answer. And when I woke up, I was like, ah, shoot. Almost like I said, okay, fine. I'll stay a little longer. Yeah. And I was like in the middle of the pandemic when things were just really, I was just over it. I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just tired of it. Yeah. Uh, I was still grieving for my brother, all this other stuff going around. And then they appeared. It was like some, in this thing, it was like a spaceship came down and then, they were like, do you, you want to go? You know, and like you said, it's all telepathic. It's like all the information. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it's all. And then I was like, yeah, I just want to go. Like, and then <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not the answer they wanted to hear, right? But um, I got way ahead of myself. But just to say, like, so to me, that's what they showed me, that it's already like, it, it's some kind of agree. Like, we agreed to it. And yeah, I think we do agree to it. I think that... I don't think that we necessarily agree to every little thing that happens to us yeah. because I think we have some free will working with our higher self, mm. making choices while we're here, you mm. know? Um, but we do agree to come into this world as it is. Mm. And I think we do agree to, to the general circumstances, you know, our families or what country we're coming into or, you know, those kinds of things. And as soon as we agree to that, we're on a path, you know, we, we may have, it may be a pretty broad path and we have a lot of choices within it, but we're still on that path. Mm. Um, but I think, I think it does, it does certainly change the way I think about things, knowing now that, that I made these choices, you know, that's not just random and nobody's imposing this upon me. For some reason, I chose this. Um, I had a friend who read my book and she really couldn't wrap her head around the fact that I would choose to be injured mm. and um, choose to have pretty serious injuries. And she said she she thought about it for days. And finally, she realized that um, she had gone through childbirth, which is really painful and can be very uncomfortable. And yet now that she's got her kids, she never thinks about that. Mm. 
she thinks she's she loves the kid. She loves her life with the kid. She doesn't think, oh, that wasn't worth it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> she thinks, yeah, well, that was worth it. You know, that's something you have to go through to get here. Then fine. Mm. That's all right. And that made sense to me. You know, it, it may be maybe I didn't choose to be injured because of the injuries, but I chose to be injured because of where it would take me afterward. No, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, I also heard in an interview where you said you thought maybe you did get signs before that happened. So do you feel that? it? I mean, now in hindsight, maybe you feel that it was just part of your, you know, your script, basically, that, way, you know, you kind of agreed to. But you did say that maybe it could have been prevented. So how do you or what kind of signs were you getting leading up to that point or? I was interesting that we mentioned tarot cards earlier because mm. um, for about five days in a row, I would just draw one tarot card a day Okay. when I was there. And for about five days in a row, I got the tower oh. and I was like, oh man, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. And um, uh, just about two weeks before um, some friends of mine had gotten blown up and a week oh. before, then a week before some friends of mine gotten blown up. And I was like, mm, you know, things are getting dicier. Maybe I shouldn't go outside the wire. And maybe I should start saying, don't make me do that instead of just going, okay, I'll go outside the wire. Because mm. I always wanted to get outside a base. It felt yeah. like prison, you know. Um, and um, and then um, I did have a dream that was, it was it was more symbolic. It wouldn't make any sense if I went through it. But to me, the symbols were like, mm, maybe I should watch out or something. Mm. Um, so there were definitely a few signs that probably if I had been a little more on top of things that maybe I would have been a little more careful. But I also think that if that hadn't, if I hadn't gotten blown up, I would have given myself something else. Mm probably an equivalent in some way. And, um, and I do what I, what I was shown when I was um, in that kind of stadium environment was that my getting blown up had a, a much bigger effect than I thought it did. That there were these sort of waves of, um, information that went out from that incident that had to do with the um, pointlessness of violence. Mm. I was like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Nothing that I did. It just is a side effect. You know, we live in a, this world is kind of set up on uh, cause and effect. And so when you put something into motion, um, you know, we tend to see only effects that you can physically see or that make some kind of emotional or mental sense to us. Mm. But I think that our, I think that the effects are much more profound than we really imagine for lots and lots of things, not just getting blown up. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Um, so did you ever think it would, because, you know, you've been interviewed by tons of people and you know, you wrote a book, The Application of Impossible, impossible Things. things. Mm -hmm. okay. And um, had you like your so 
I mean, mostly I think you get interviewed on the NDE experience, right? As opposed to the book, but all, all everything you've learned from that experience is in the book, correct? Yeah, the book really walks people through that um, experience of being out of the body in a really detailed way. I mm. I try to be, um, I try to be careful about how I describe it. So I'm tr mm. I was trying to be as accurate as I could possibly be. I think I had read a couple of books, a couple of NDE books, I think in my thirties. And um, they spent a lot of time talking about their injury or their physical death. And then only a few pages talking about being out of the body. Mm. And then a lot of time talking about their rehab or whatever they did. And I thought, well, that's not what I want to know about. I want to know about, I want to know that little part in there where you were out of your body. That's what I want to know. And so when I wrote my book, I was like, well, okay, I guess now I get the chance to do that. So there's very little about, there's almost nothing about leading up to the NDE okay. and almost nothing in the aftermath in that book. The book is really about me being out of my body and what I experienced. Wow. No, I, and uh, I'm, I am going to order it and read it because, you know, I felt I'll, I, I'll have them send you a comp copy. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, because uh, even uh, my whole experience when my brother passed away, you know, it was just uh, the the four year anniversary this in February, right? This month. Mm. And and um, everything that I've been shown, it's been like a whole like cookie crumbs and just it's too much to try to explain talking so i wanted to go into detail in um you know and i wrote a book recently it wasn't a long book it's only about 50 pages right mm -hmm. but i mean you know it goes into as much detail as i could and i wish i could put pictures i haven't learned yet how to put because they showed me physical proof that's why that's what i guess i found amazing that i was able to i can show people look this is impossible like the odds of this happening is like to me it would be like winning the lottery but I was shown nonstop like these signs, right? Since his That's past. So neat. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Did you get anything? Like, well, I mean, I heard you in an interview. I think you have my kind of attitude where if people don't believe you, you really don't. I don't care. care. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I understand why people wouldn't believe me. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's yeah. fine. A hundred percent. No, and that's I think one of the reasons I started the podcast was because um I wanted to find people like me, right? And that way, as I'm interviewing you. It's like if people think you're crazy, then I'm crazy too. So it's fine. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll be, be crazy, crazy together. A hundred percent. No, and, and there's actually a story that I never told anyone. Um, I I believe I never told anyone because I don't think they would have understood. But since you mentioned all that, like um, you know, I was in the military as well, and my unit wasn't going to Iraq, but it's just and it's funny because it was around 2007, around there or something, I believe, and. So, you know, I, I have like the premonitions and, and you know, they're very accurate. Even now, uh, I just like two interviews ago, I interviewed a friend that's a medium that helped me when my brother passed away because her gift is more like on the spot. And so I guess she was communicating with me things that he was saying and this and that. And in the that interview, we mentioned all these things and they already all came true. Both of us were like, I wonder what this oh, oh, I had a dream about. This. Yeah. So since she even mentioned nachos and I was like, nah, she's a watch. Just remember nachos. OK. <laughs> And then so down the anniversary of my brother's passing, I went with my parents to the cemetery. And after we were there for a good while, when we left, you know, I guess we were hungry. 
And I left it up to my mom. Like, she told me, what do you want to eat? I was like, no, nah, no, you decide. Whatever you want to eat. And she's like, I feel like nachos. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I started, I was like, no way. And she had oh. said that three days prior. That's three, great. Yeah, yeah. Three days prior, she had mentioned, just remember nachos. I was like, oh, I don't know <laughs> what that means, you know? And then all these things, right, came true from that interview already. And so, you know, when when I was in the military, like, I had a dream and it was basically like death was smiling at me, waiting for me in the desert. I was like, okay. You know, it reminded me of like this movie. I think in Gladiator, they say, oh, sometimes death smiles at us. All we could do is smile back or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, wow. And two days later, my brother, he called me and he was like, hey, they're taking volunteers to go to Iraq. And instantly the dream popped in my head. I was like, oh, death is waiting for me in the desert. I'm like, okay, give me the number because my unit wasn't going to Iraq anytime soon. And so I called, I called, they're like, oh yeah, just, you know, uh, talk to your XO. I talked to my XO, you know, my commanding officer. He, he said, he approved me everything. So it was crazy because I don't know if it was like a, I don't think I, it was like a death wish. I hope that's not what it was. You know, I don't know what younger me was thinking, you know, mm -hmm. because you feel an obligation to go, you know, your brothers and sisters at that point, you become a family. They're going yeah. to Iraq. Why am I not going to go? You know, right. if my yeah. unit's not going to go, I I'm going to go too. Mm -hmm. But with me, it was just crazy because at that point I already was aware of my premonitions and how accurate they were. And mm -hmm. I still almost like, okay, like fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to you. <laughs> I'll meet you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then I got in trouble and I didn't, they didn't let me go to Iraq. Oh. Yeah. It's like this gunnery sergeant. He's like, I don't care what the XO said. You're mine. You're not going. No. <laughs> <laughs> Your higher self went, mm, not yet. Yeah. So <laughs> how do you feel about things like that? Like, like, see, like, because I couldn't tell people about the premonitions back then, how accurate they are and this and that. So how? So that, yeah, so you feel like the higher self was like, oh, well, I, let, think so. oh, I mean, I think I think that, you know, we have a lot of power in our choices once mm. we're in the body from the personality self. But I think that we create, we're not, we're not creating in a vacuum. We are an aspect of our higher self. Mm. And so the higher self is paying attention too. And I think that, you know, we may have a death wish, but if that higher self says, no, I'm not really done yet, then I think that's going to trump what we what we try to do yeah yeah i think nope. if we can bring ourselves into a coherence with that higher self mm. i mean that's kind of what you're doing you know being willing to listen and willing to pay attention to these premonitions right mm -hmm. you're you're communicating with that higher self you're saying okay i'm paying attention i'm going to um i'm going to work with my higher self not not work against it and I think that a lot of times that can really open the channels a lot more. We can get a lot more help than we often think we have. Mm. No, most definitely. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, oh man, I completely, I was so immersed in what you were saying that my brain just drew a blank So, <laughs> because I had something else I wanted to say as far as that. Um, let me see the premonition, this, that. Man, I completely, my whole mind just, whew. Oh. let me see. Okay. Oh, I know. You also said that like you were in a way shown. It's kind of like, uh, 
there is rules here. I, I, there was an interview where you're talking about there is certain rules or something to us being here. I don't know if you remember. I wish I could remember word for word what you I said. I don't remember, but I mean, this this reality is kind of, um, you know, there's, if you want to call them rules, there's rules that kind of hold this reality in the shape that it's in, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way that um, on a microcosmic level, we have cultural rules. Most people stop at red lights. We all agree to do that. We could all agree not to do it. There are plenty of countries that agree not to do it. But, you know, every culture agrees to different kinds of norms or um, mores or whatever. And I and if we're going to participate in this world, there are there are kind of laws that. If you want to call them that rules, laws, there are there are just. um, um organizations or systems that kind of define this reality. We don't, we can't necessarily stick our hand through the wall. Mm. You know, some things that things are going to appear solid. Um, There's cause and effect. If we put something in motion, there's going to be an effect from that action or from that thought. And um, so that's kind of what I was talking about in the rules. Not that there are, you know, you better follow the rules, not that kind of thing, but there's a structure that we all exist within. If we didn't all agree to exist within this structure, then then um, it would be even more chaotic than what we've got now. <laughs> you know? No, most definitely. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, though, because once I was speaking to someone, it was interesting how it happened because it's like they they wanted help from me, but then... So I agreed to call and they're like, oh, can you talk on the phone? I was like, okay. I guess they would see me post like spiritual things. And I guess they were, they said they were having, I don't know if it was like trouble sleeping or certain things. So I called them, but then it was obvious they were very, very psychic. But, you know, they were very, uh, you know, into like Christianity, right? So they didn't even like the word. I was like, oh, so you're psychic. And then they were like, no, I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. You're tuned in then, <laughs> you know, right. I, I just said that you're tuned in. And then it was almost like they went into a trance as I was speaking to them. And then they started saying like scenes from my life. And I was just like, oh, wow. Like scenes that I've never really shared with anyone. So to me, it was like, okay, this person is really tapped in. And I didn't mind. Like it didn't feel, I was just more like, oh, that's what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. when I'd have dreams about other people, I'm like, hey, I had a dream. About, and they're like. And they don't say nothing, and or sometimes they'll be like, "No, it did have just like you said or whatever." See, so mm-hmm. I'm like quiet, like, "Oh, that's what that feels like." And then, but then they they went. It was like, "Oh, I could see you've been given the keys to many doors, but not every door was meant to be open." And I was like, oh. <laughs> so that's oh, "Warnings, yes." <laughs> so even as I started the podcast and everyone I'm interviewing, I was like, wait a second. Am I not even? So- what if, you know, they strike me down? <laughs> like that's it. You're, 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 we're taking you back because you're sharing too much information. So that, <laughs> even that got into my head, but you don't feel that there's anything we're not supposed to share as far as those kind of rules as well. No, I mean, I think that, um, well, there are a lot of traditions um, in other cultures that that 
try to limit the dissemination of information, I think. Mm. Um, but I, th I think it's, it's because um, power corrupts. Mm. And, and I think that um, if you're, if you're just aiming to, to have the, the knowledge or aiming to have the psychic ability or the mediumship ability without also asking for wisdom to carry it, mm. then I think that you can do a lot of harm. You know, I think you have to be aware of how you're carrying that information and how you're sharing it and do it with integrity and do it with care. You know, you don't want to scare people. You don't want to hurt people. Um, and um, so I think that it does take some, some wisdom or some uh, attention mm. to carry it well. I guess that's what I have to say about that. Because <laughs> no, I think there are people who don't, you know, I think there it's pretty easy to say, yeah, well, I'm psychic. And, you know, do you know that somebody in your family has cancer, you know, or something like that. I've had, you know, I've heard people say things like this. Like, mm. don't do that. Don't do that. Don't scare people. Don't, you know, be careful how you, how you carry that insight and that knowledge, I think. So do you think like writing a book or doing a podcast, it's more like, Hey, we're putting the information there. And if you're led to it, then that's different than us just going and telling you. Yeah, I think it's fine to put the information out there. I think it's fine to put almost any information out there, de depending on the circumstances. You know, I I think that um, most podcasts and um, you know most readings, people are coming to you. You know, mm -hmm. people are yes led to you, or um, and you're not you're not trying to scare people or you're not trying to tell people how great you are and how much you know and you know you're trying to share information you're trying to share curiosity and I think that there's great value in that I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing that kind of information I think it's really great yeah no and um no you, you after you said that thank you for saying that about the why everything you said but especially about the like the ripple effect right I've used that analogy before but even like you saying it again, you know, kind of clicks about you really put it into perspective about how far your one experience, that experience of pain, you know, mm -hmm. getting blown up, how it just because I I mean, you're like it's tangible. Like You could see what happened with you, like how many people it has reached now, like millions. Right. Oh, like, crazy. <laughs> <that's> crazy. <laughs> yeah. From this one. I mean, the, it started after you wrote the book or were you already invited to, to speak about it even before you? Oh, wrote after it? I wrote the book. Yeah. Everything wow. after I wrote the book. Yeah. And uh, see, I don't think I began to speak about it. I don't know what part I'm supposed to share because even after um, after my brother passed away, I got lucky that, you know, I was already uh, immersed in a native community. Right. And um a week after my brother, he passed away on a Saturday. The next Saturday, there was a sweat ceremony. So I went, you know, I talked to the elder, everything. They helped me, dedicated to my brother to, like, you know, help me with that, you know, uh, 
I guess not re- letting go in a way, but not letting go. Obviously, you still have to grieve and all that. But uh, it was, you know, a way for me to say goodbye in that way mm-hmm. since I didn't get to say goodbye because the way it happened, right? And right. Uh, I remember he told me, uh, you know, he, he pulls me aside and we talk and he's like, the creator gave you something. Don't waste it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I knew instantly what he meant, but it's like if anyone else would have told me that, I would have wa- probably wanted to punch him in the throat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like at that point, like, okay, my brother's, you know, suicide. That's the creator giving me something. I knew what he meant, right? Yeah. And I'm sure eventually, well, that's I think his his passing is what led me to start the podcast to begin with, because every, everything just mm-hmm. you know, the way everything unraveled, right? But but uh, even that, but see, I've, I've talked about it more in a spiritual way. I've talked about it more like how I was shown that everything is already kind of pre-written. See, and I haven't really gotten to talk about it, maybe just from a physical point of people that deal with, with not only people dealing with thoughts of suicide, but people that have a loved one that dies and how they cope with it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's more valuable. I don't know yet what the ripple effect will be from that. Yeah, I think you just have to go one step at a time Mm. and you'll end up there without, you know, if you try to figure out how to get there, I think it's going to be hard to get there. But if you just say, well, this is all I know to do right now, I think you'll be led, you know, you'll figure it out. No, thank you. And I mean, so you were pretty much led in that way, right? You were. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't even start out writing the book for anybody else. I wrote the, I was writing stuff down so I would remember it. And so I had it real clear in my mind. And then when it was done, I was like, well, I guess I could see if anybody wants to read this. <laughs> I didn't really want to put it out there Oh wow! <laughs> because I was like, oh yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people who are going to think I'm crazy and who knows what kind of attention I'm going to get. I don't know. Um, (laughs) you know some people are a little crazy and um but then I thought oh well if somebody wants to publish it I'll I'll just go with the flow and I never intended to do readings for people you know professionally for a living um people started coming to me I don't even know how they found out about me but they would call me and say I hear you do readings can you do it I'm like where are you coming from I don't even know who you are. So, I mean, I think sometimes what we're what we're supposed to be doing comes to us. I don't think that it always happens that way. I think I'm lucky. I think, I don't know, the first seven, 47 years of my life were not like that. <laughs> but, but, you know, sometimes you just do what's in front of you and it'll get you where you, where you're supposed to be. Almost definitely. Thank you. And, and um, so now that's what you do professionally, right? The readings? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do you mind me asking? I know it doesn't matter in the great scheme of things, but I'm curious as to what sign you are. Just I'm Pisces. Oh, Pisces. Okay. The last degree of Pisces. Wow. I don't know about the degrees yet. I'm still learning all that. My mom's a Pisces as well. When's your birthday? March 20th. Oh, okay. Oh, that's oh, it's uh like yeah, almost mine. When's your mom's? Oh, uh March 10th. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So when's yours? What sign are you? Gemini. Oh, okay. The curiosity, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> total curiosity. Yeah, yeah. So that's why, you know, I ask so many questions. Let me let me see because I don't obviously, you know, I I know you have things to do, so I don't want to um oh, real quick, if you don't mind 
talking about that, about the judgment. So you said it's really important to not judge. I, I heard an interview where you said about the judgment, like not to judge. Like you were shown that or that's just from your own. Like you feel that's very important to not be here judging ourselves, judging others. Yeah, I think it's really destructive. I think um, I think using some compassion and forgiveness for ourselves and for other people mm. um, is much more productive. It's, you know, judging, first of all, judging other people. We don't know, we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they're, where they're coming from. Um, and, and I think if we can suspend judgment, then we're more likely to find out where they're coming from and have some, um, tolerance and compassion for that. Mm. And I think it's really, really destructive to judge ourselves. It, you know, that inner voice of criticism can mm. be really destructive. And if we can remember that everything that we've had up till now is in the past mm. <laughs> and we made those decisions and choices that we made to the best of our ability with the information that we had available. And if it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, maybe we can forgive ourselves for that mm. and move forward, you know, instead of saying, why, 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 maybe we can say, well, how do I best handle this now? Mm. Um, well, definitely not. Thank you. Because, uh, what that like the ripple effect right like even though so th there is a purpose to everything right you, you would you feel that way like every single thing has some kind of I think picture. so I think that sometimes there's going to be purpose that we don't understand as humans mm -hmm. that won't really make sense to us in our small context um but I do think that everything matters I think certainly everything can be um can be made pur purposeful or meaningful when we bring our own attention to it and our our capacity for love to it. Mm. Thank you, thank you. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what. Um, I'm sure I could think of more questions to ask you. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm sure you have other things to do. But thank you. Oh, oh real quick. So, what made you come up with the title, "The Application of Impossible Things"? What? It just came as I was writing the book. I don't even know. I guess maybe I already had the book written in my higher mm. self or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, when it came to me, I was like, oh, I like that a lot because, because I think that people assume that um, the non-physical is, is not applicable, you know, mm. that we can't we can't move mountains and we can't talk to spirits and we can't, you know, all these things that are supposedly impossible. We can't put our hand through a wall or um, whatever. But I think that when we really truly thoroughly understand who and what we really are, I think we transcend some of those rules and some of those limitations that we've created for ourselves. Mm. So I think that, um, those quote unquote impossible things are possible to apply in our everyday life. Cause this, like I said, this, this world is part of the non-physical. It's not separate from it. It's, it's a subset of it. So it's all, all of this is holy. Wow. All of us, everything that exists is 
exists as the creator in motion. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. No, and it's, it's, you know, just the thought I had right now was that, you know, like your story, right? Like you were an archaeologist and then you had this experience, even though you already had all these spiritual gifts or, you know, gifts in general, right? So I think when you speak, you seem so well-grounded, right? Like, so people won't look at it like, oh, you know, she's these fanciful stories or it was just the trauma to her head or some crazy thing. It's like, you are someone that someone would see. Res- it's almost like it's perfect. It was it was perfect that you would bring this knowledge because of your background. You know, you're someone that was professional and that it seems like a stable kind of career. And then this happened and then you're, you know, I think there was even NDs that happened to like doctors, for example. So yeah, what are, are you going to say? Oh, that archaeologist is crazy. That doctor is crazy. So. Yeah, I had a really clear um, experience a few months after I wrote the book, um, uh, Evan Alexander is the doctor who had um, a near-death experience. And there was somebody else. I was thinking about those people. And all of a sudden, I just knew that we all had the experiences that made sense for our lives mm-hmm. so that we could take those out to a certain audience. It's like each of these people, including me, um, could reach a certain audience in a certain way because of who we are, what we look like, what our background is, what our jobs had been, you know, it it was really interesting to me. It's like, oh yeah, it's making sense. You know, it's not just (laughs) random. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess that's the thought I I had right now from the beginning of the interview. So now it's like, okay, it all Makes yeah sense. like i get it <laughs> and what you're doing makes sense for you i guess <laughs> I, i'm sure it does at some point you, you got know? your audience yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i'm sure it you know it's yeah yeah i definitely have a different kind of audience most definitely because i think most people wouldn't see someone like me doing these kind of interviews mm-hmm. i think as well see that's one of the things um you know I lost a lot of the people I used to associate with because maybe it got a little weird for them. I would think like, mm-hmm. you know, I switched <laughs> so quickly, <laughs> but it was already always in there. It's just, you don't speak about it. That's right. it. And I think yeah. after like, that was the, the tower moment. Mm-hmm. The tower moment was like my brother's passing where I just didn't care at that point. It's like, I don't even care what anyone thinks. I think that, you know, even though we say it a lot, like, I don't care what anyone thinks, but in a way, you know, we do. We still. do. Yeah. yeah. Until we hit that point where, yeah, the only thing that matters is yeah. being true to ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And um, yeah, so I could keep going on and on. So Natalie Sudman, thank you so much. It was an honor. The application of impossible things, right? It's available everywhere, right? Yeah. Amazon and yeah, I don't know where all. Barnes and Noble. And do you have a, a website as well where people can contact you if they want readings and all that? Or Yeah, on the um, traceofelements.com, on the readings page is all the information about readings. And um, you can look at my artwork and stuff on nsudman.com. Okay. And um, yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Omar. It's oh, been really fun. No, no, thank you. I'm, I'm honored. Um, and, you know, you're giving me a lot, you know, a, a different perspective on certain things so I, i'm 
always happy when I learn something, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I do. I think every single guest, there's been a key thing that I was like, ah, okay. Well, that's great. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, no, I'll put all the links, uh, you know, in the description to, to okay. your websites and everything. And yep. so, yeah, maybe one day, uh, you know, you could come back again. I know you're really busy. You know, like I said, though, I felt bad just because after... I've just seen how many of these interviews you've done. So I was like, oh, man. That's all right. Everyone is different. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah thank I, you. I joke because I kind of, um, I joke that I wrote the book so I didn't have to tell the story over and over. And then because I wrote the book, I have to tell the story over and over. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. It's that's fun right. meeting people like you. I had a, I had a good time, Omar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Okay. So on that note, uh, thanks again. And it was an honor. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes you're just feeling it. You know what I'm saying? You're just feeling it. I wanna feel this way forever. Yeah.